Welcome to the Behavior Groups Podcast. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. We interview interesting people in order to unlock insights into behavioral science and how we can apply those rules and wonderful things to our work and our life. And this episode, we talked with Bernardo Nunes, one of those interesting people. Truly. Yes. He is a data scientist from Growth Tribe, which is Europe's first growth hacking academy, which is an interesting component. Totally, because Growth Tribe is focused on helping entrepreneurs leverage both behavioral science and big data to start uh, new companies more successfully. Yeah, so they're teaching persuasion techniques to data geeks. How about that? We also talked about um, the interrelationship between policy and marketing. Important stuff. And we talked about Bernardo's journey from Brazil to the Netherlands and how he became interested in behavioral science because of a New York Times article by David Leibson. Love that David Leibson. Yeah. So if you want to learn about the pirate funnel, arg, arg, the pirate <laughs> the funnel. pirate funnel? What is that, Tim? And, and well, you have to listen. And, and hyperbolic discounting. There's a little discussion on that. You got to listen up. <laughs> you, you say hyperbolic discounting was such a enthusiasm there it's not even close to pirate funnel pirate funnel (laughs) (laughs) but with that it was a very fun conversation and we hope that you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed having it so without further ado here is our podcast with bernardo nunes bernardo nunes welcome to the behavioral groups podcast thank you for joining us thanks for the invitation So we'd like to start our conversation today with a little bit of a speed round, some questions that are unprepared, but just have quick reactions to. So Mm -hmm. I'd like to start with Michelangelo or Monet? Uh, Michelangelo. All right. Are you a dog (laughs) person or a cat person? Dog. Totally dog. (laughs) Unicycle or bicycle? Bicycle. Wow. And then I, I, I live in Amsterdam, so yeah, 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 yeah. that is very true. Uh, <laughs> loss aversion or social proof, which is the larger influence on behavior? I, I work with digital marketing, so social, social norms, social proofs are <laughs> all right. Bernardo, thank you. Those are uh, some wonderful questions, and you are very quick on the response on those. So that's uh, terrific, uh, wonderful. Um, a dog person over cat that came really quick. So, do you own a dog, or are you just uh, dogs more, more your style? Yes, I I used to have dogs when I was a kid. Dogs and horses. Oh. Um, yeah, and no cats. I was allergic. Oh, well, there you go. I don't like their personalities in general. <laughs> you won't get any disagreement from me on that. Um, so, so you grew up with dogs and horses. You grew up in Brazil. Uh, even yeah. though you live in Amsterdam, you grew up in, in Brazil, right? Did, did, were you on a, a ranch, a, a farm? Yeah, my, my grandfather had one. And uh, yeah, he had a shoe store. Um, he, was re- he was raised in a farm, but then he moved to the, the, the city when... He joined the army in the 1920s, and uh, they they grew up our, our family there. So um, we had the opportunity to spend a few days every month in the farm. Uh, also, my cousins' families they have still today. So when I was a kid, we used to spend time uh, or and holidays, uh, you know, in, at the farm. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so Bernardo, tell us how you got from Brazil to Amsterdam. What? What? Uh, if it's a long path, let's let's hear about it. If it's a short path, even we'll, we'll hear uh, about it too. <laughs> well, um, after five years working in a pension fund in Brazil, yeah. and um, I already did a master in economics in Brazil, uh, in behavior economics. Well, with the orientation of my, my Brazilian supervisor, I would say. Uh, and then I went to Lisbon for a master in finance. Then uh, at that time, there were many uh, research, center in, research centers opening positions of, for PhD students to join behavioral science centers in Europe. Okay. Um, then I joined the the research center in Stirling in Scotland. So then I got the the PhD there. As so I lived in Scotland for four years, and in 2016, I've uh, I moved to uh, I, I I graduated, and then I started to to search for jobs that were combining behavioral science and data analysis. And there was a company here from from the Netherlands. Growth Tribe that I joined them last year as a behavioral scientist, data scientist uh, role. Well, tell us a little bit about Growth Tribe. Tell us what Growth Tribe is. It's not a familiar name, at least not in the States. So help us understand what Growth Tribe does. Yeah, so Growth Tribe, uh, let's say the mission of the company is to, to empower, but to train people to gain skills rapidly especially digital skills um, related with marketing automation, growth marketing, uh, and data analytics. Uh, We are not a consulting company. We are basically a training company that tries to uh, develop profiles that are more like P-shaped players. So they they have a reasonable understanding on some topics um, that they can apply to grow their companies, basically. Help, help explain that T-shaped marketer piece, because you had sent us some information on that. Mm-hmm. Help, help our listeners understand what, what you mean by that. Yeah, so, so more traditional marketers, they, uh, they have, a, a, let's say, a, 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 a incomplete uh, profile in terms of uh, digital skills. So okay. they, they usually focus on creative marketing. And uh, meanwhile, a growth hacker will also have training in, in topics like coding and automation, uh, behavioral psychology, and uh, lean analytics, let's say. So uh, the T-shaped market player is, is like a unicorn. You cannot find them. So one thing we do is we combine uh, the two or three uh, professionals from, from different companies that that's reach to us. Okay. And then train them in these different skills. So they complete each other's profile uh, without having to train one single person uh, to acquire all those skills. And how long, is there a certification process that that you go through to certify these professionals? Well, yeah, so we we have an academy that lasts for three months. And usually we have five startups from, from the Netherlands and uh, there, there is a call for applications from participants, for participants. So in the last year we got 322 applications and then we selected 25 to uh, match with the startups we are going to help in the next three months. Uh, yeah, so they, some of them, they came from Canada, 
uh, we have five from France this year, some from, from Italy, Belgium, six countries, and the rest are from uh, the Netherlands. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. That is, that is, just, uh, that is just tremendous. So you, basically, you're teaching entrepreneurship, but not on a, uh, a one-person-does-everything. You're trying to break down the disciplines uh, into meaningful ways <laughs> these businesses grow. Yes, exactly. So it's it's quite hard to find nowadays these professionals that they they know about coding and uh, persuasion techniques and also uh, traditional marketing. So it's better to combine them in teams. And uh, uh, many companies nowadays they are applying this concept of growth teams instead of uh, simply marketing. Okay. Yeah. So, so how do you apply behavioral science? Uh, in this work? What are, what are some of the behavioral science principles or how do you actually take those principles and apply them with what you're doing? Yeah, so the, in growth hacking, there is one intersection, which is quite interesting intersection between uh, the data analytics and behavioral psychology, uh, which is called conversion rate optimization. So okay. marketeers, they think about the customer journey as a funnel. So it starts from awareness and ends up with referrals, for example. And in the middle, you have retention, acquisition, activation. Think about when you install a, a, an app to your, to your smartphone. You go through all this process, right? You, you know the, the app, and then you start to refer to other friends if you like it. So in the middle, you can uh, apply all the, the, the techniques related with recency, scarcity, social norms, and these are, let's say, persuasion techniques that you um, that have been proved to be very, um, very uh, solid influencers of consumer behavior. Right. And um, in recommendation engines, they, they there there is a, a very interesting application of the use of psychographics to match people's uh, personality traits to the the products that they uh, um, they would like to buy or the ad that you uh, create to target them. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, as, and because I was trained in the public policy in the, uh, during my PhD, I always thought that it's the same principle. You know, some of these uh, techniques, they work with your system two, some of them, they, they target your system one, some of them are more educational, and uh, they target on advisor, in an advisory perspective, and some of them are more nudge, system one uh, techniques. Okay. So it, um, th these two, would, I would say, are the, the, the main uh, applications. The use of persuasion techniques and uh, personalization at the individual level. Tell us a little bit more about the persuasion techniques. What, what, are, the, what are the things that you're, that you're teaching that you're trying to help your students gain uh, for who, you know, who, are the, who are they trying to persuade and what are the techniques that you're using? Yeah, so, so in my opinion, the most typical example is from traveling, uh, from the traveling industry. Um, and this is how we, we teach the sim most simplistic uh, examples to them. So you go to a landing page of uh, book.com or uh, let's say eDreams, and you always uh, see those messages saying that um, uh, for, uh, 40 people are, are looking at this um, uh, 
uh, product at this moment. Yeah. Uh, there are only four rooms left in this hotel. So these are all related with Star City, uh, recency, uh, uh, urgency messages, etc. And 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 those uh, those act in, in a persuasive way then on the viewers. Yeah. So there is a, a white paper from this company called Qubit yep. uh, that actually has ma made a meta analysis with thousands of, of experiments, digital experiments, and they show that uh, these are the most uh, most efficient uh, techniques to to push uh, customers to conversion. Yeah. Well, um, I will. I will use my, my own example. I'm looking to book a vacation for our spring break. My kids have spring break in, in under a month now, and we're trying to do a ski trip, and we're going out on vacation owner by, uh, or vacation rental by owner, mm -hmm. and, and exactly that. And I was saying 32 people have looked at this uh, site in the last 24 or 48 hours, you, exactly. You know, again, you get that. Oh, I better book this better before somebody else is booking it. So that scarcity component that comes in, you know, Chaldini, yeah, and all of that. And I know it. I, I mean, as and this is one of the pieces that I think we talk about a lot is even mm -hmm. though I know that they're applying that that pressure to me and that I should just ignore that, it still takes into place. I actually, you know brought my wife in yesterday, last night really late saying, you gotta look at this because we might need to book this right now. We didn't, but. The, the, the effect happens on us, on our, our brains, regardless of. Uh, exactly, that. yeah. Well, this, this is particularly interesting, um, uh, Bernardo, that, that you're helping entrepreneurs, you're helping uh, startups uh, gather the, uh, the, the tool set by assembling the right people together. Uh, so uh, the behavioral element, where, what, where, where is the, that come into the training? You know, the behavioral psychology, the uh, conversion rate optimization, where does that mm -hmm. actually come into to the, uh, the training? Yeah, so um, of course they have some uh, previous use cases before they actually put um, they actually perform an exercise. Um, for example, they can create a landing page uh, using tools that do not require coding, okay, like like Instapage, etc. And then you you also learn how to create a chatbot, for example, that will uh, uh, you know uh, show these messages while they visit the the, the web page for the first time. Um, so there is one part that is let's say the use case, then uh, some kind of some small theory, and then uh, uh, an exercise. And after the exercise, uh, discussion of the results, basically. It, it sounds like uh, something really great is happening there in the background. <laughs> you guys. Yeah, so it's just it's just one part here that is is finishing. <laughs> uh, oh, I was thinking, well, are you getting applause for? Uh, no, so, sorry for the noise. It's just that uh, there's a chorus here that is. Uh, no worries. No, no, that's great. Uh, but you, you talked about the. Um, you call it the pirate funnel, this idea of moving from awareness to acquisition, activation to retention to, uh, to revenue. Um, how, did, how did it get the name the pirate funnel? 
Well, this is, um, yes, yeah, so some uh, marketeers, they created this, this name, you know, they, they like to create catchy names. Uh, <laughs> I would just call it the, the marketing funnel or the conversion funnel. Uh, it's basically, you know, you, you have metrics that will map each of the steps of the, the, the funnel uh, that will help you to find the metric that really matters for your business. And then you try to optimize that metric. Yeah. So uh, tell us about the, uh, the the results of some of the students that you had through and the and the startups. Uh, how are they doing? What what kind of uh, what kind of data are you collecting on on these organizations as you um, after, after they get launched and, and mm -hmm. get up and running? Yeah. So in in the let's say in the local market here where we concentrate our efforts. Um, we have uh, placed almost entirely, uh, almost all of them. They were not actually students. Most, some of them, they are, uh, you know, professionals that already have a company or they work for an organization. Um, so, the, if we concentrate on the results of the academy, mo most of them are working in growth marketing, and they are uh, they had the growth uh, in. Uh, Companies around Amsterdam, Paris, Belgium, etc. Right, that, that's true. Yeah. And, and uh, do do you have? Uh, do you have In our website, we have uh, you know the, the precise numbers, uh, the metrics that we follow on this. So it's just quite um, um, quite easy to to go there and. Uh, you know, if, if someone is interested, there's a lot of information. Which companies do we we train? We already train, etc. Okay. That, that's great. We'll, we'll make mm -hmm. sure that we, we post that link in, mm -hmm. in the description. So, Bernardo, one of the things that, that we've talked with some of our other guests about that I think would be interesting from your perspective and seeing how you teach this, but also your, your ideas on this, is there's an element of applying some of these behavioral science insights and principles, particularly when it's matched with, with AI and big data. Machine, uh, learning, machine learning and all of those components that can get a little bit intrusive, um, can feel creepy uh, to, to some degree. The, the amount of, of insight that you can gather from people's Facebook likes and the other types of information that are out there on the internet uh, can be pretty uh, accurate and down to, you know, again, some of the work that's been done on personality profiles and, and those yeah. things. There's a line that can get crossed, I think, in some of those instances on what is ethical and what is not ethical. I, I wanted to know if you had, uh, in your work with the students, are you teaching them? Or, are, are there discussions around that, that ethical component of that? And what are your own thoughts on, on that? Yes. Yeah, so the, during the course, we, we make this discussion. Uh, for example, I discuss with them those uh, contributions from Cass Sunstein that he shows uh, how people react to nudges. Yeah. Um, so they need to be very careful uh, when, when they use these tools. Sometimes people have different, uh, let's say, opinions and they should also survey, inquire their customers about these things. So for example, uh, if, if you use a language that is more educational, people right. tend to share more information with you. So let's say a FinTech firm that has a portfolio of products and instead of just uh, selling people 
the products, you can create a platform that, you know, in a way tries to educate them on those matters and then they tend to share more information with you. And uh, the other thing we do is uh, we discuss this recent results from uh, a paper from Sandra Metz and Joe Gladstone uh, about, uh, that says that money buys happiness when uh, your spending matches your personality. Okay. And so in this sense, if you help, peop help people with recommendation engines to find those products in a platform that actually match their, their uh, let's say, their interests, their, their opinions, they, they, their momentaneous happiness is enhanced too. Uh, so basically you have to look at, yeah, so how they perceive the idea of being nudged and uh, what are their interests on those products because when people end up buying things that they actually uh, that actually don't do not match their personality they will uh, be spending money uh, getting steps and simply not being a sustainable customer to the company yeah um bernardo we're gonna uh, if it's okay that was that was a really great answer but we we're getting some, um, some Mm -hmm. uh, it, it sounds like maybe some microphone noise. So if it's all right, I'd like to, to go back and, um, and see if you could uh, restate, especially those 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 two things on uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Sunstein's work on how we perceive the nudge, and then Joe Gladstone's work on, on uh, okay. mm -hmm. you know, how, how well the products match. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, again, so coming back it's that you know discussion around the that line of, of what's ethical and, and how do you teach that and some of the discussions so uh, that would be fantastic yeah go ahead okay yeah so yeah one of the discussions we do here is um, you know from those uh, papers from Cass Sunstein that uh, he discusses uh, whether people like to be nudged and um, what their findings uh, suggest is that People prefer nudges when they know they are being nudged and when these nudges are, let's say, sold as educational content. Uh, and, and the second thing is that, that we do is that we discuss the results from that paper uh, from Sandra Matz and Joe Gladstone. Okay. Um, that says that money buys happiness when spending matches uh, the personality of the consumer. And so the idea is that if you have a recommendation engine, for example, that uh, helps people to find those products that uh, fit their interests, their opinions, they will have a boost in their momentary, uh, momentaneous, uh, momentary happiness. Okay. Mm. And so you're using those, the, the psychographic kind of insights in order to have a better response in some of the 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 suggestions of of what uh, a new product would be in various different things and so using yeah. that to help people be happier yes you know and uh, one of the, the the big things in in um, in psychographics is is that you know most of the companies nowadays they 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 will use recommendation engines anyway right. but they don't use any kind of personalized uh service or they don't use the psychographic uh, information to personalize the content and, and this can be very valuable especially for financial uh, services providers that because you are taking into account the risk 
the amount of information that the person wants to receive. Some people prefer to, to get lots of information. Some other people, they prefer just to, to get a report at the end of the quarter, etc. Okay. Yeah. What happens, so, and I know in, in one of your presentations, you, you, you used uh, some of the insights from Cambridge Analytica, where they're taking, you know, Facebook likes and applying Ocean, the big five factors into that. Uh, and using that from a political persuasion perspective, do you guys have any discussion about where some of those lines might be crossed? Like when you're sending, you know, targeted messages or various different things that are operating at, at, at probably levels that people themselves don't even understand. Is there a, again, I don't mean to push you on, on this line of ethics, but I think it's an important piece that we've had conversations on and I, it's, it's interesting. To sure. me. Yeah. It's, it's fuzzy. And, uh, yeah, and at this moment here in Europe, there is a, a, a big discussion because the, the, the regulation is going to change soon. In April, we will have the GDPR rules, which are new general rules on, on how we acquire information from users. So oh. basically, marketeers, they use here the opt-out strategy. That, that is very, uh, very famous from behavioral science. <laughs> yes, <Yep>. it is. <laughs> and nowadays, they will have to move to an opt-in. So uh, users, they will have to flag a box if they, they want their information to share. And when you, every piece of information you acquire, you'll have to explain the purpose, etc. Wow. Um, uh, together with this, in the UK, the, the, there, there are the open banking uh, rules, which sometimes uh, have some kind of, uh, inter, uh, let's say, uh, cannot be combined with what the GDPR rules say, because they want to increase competition, but at the same time, uh, they also make it even harder for banks and other service providers to uh, acquire information from, from the users. So, yeah. yeah, that's true. Cambridge Analytica is a, is a use case we discuss in our course, spe specifically because they use the ocean, uh, yeah. the big five uh, personality traits inventory. And this is the, the inventory that we let's say, start the discussion because it's the more, most famous, the most general. Uh, we, we end up discussing other, other uh, inventories like the disk. Yep. Uh, and uh, we also teach them how to uncover the, the psychographics that are specific for their audiences. Okay. Uh, or with experiments or with a survey. Then it depends on how uh, prone are your your users to, to respond uh, to the survey. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you didn't say that you use the Myers-Briggs because I would have had a trouble. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but but we, yeah. we, we, we all learn from that, huh? Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we do. And, 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 and there are uses for it, although there's a lot of uh, issues yeah. with some of the validity and, and repeatability of that. But uh, again, big five for some of our listeners who don't know, uh, it's the ocean model, so it's openness to experience, conscientiousness, uh, extroversion, agreeableness, and then neuroticism, which is actually just a mm -hmm. nervous, uh, I, I, it's probably the, not a good way of, of describing yeah. it, but the personality profile that uh, is used and is probably, at, at least in the last 20 years, has probably been the most highly thought of in the, psycholog in the psychology world as yeah. being probably the best 
overall predictor of your personality. So yeah, recently I responded to the uh, questionnaire that uh, Jordan Peterson uh, published last year. Yeah, um, and I liked because he breaks the five, the big five, into two main facets. So, uh, for example, conscientiousness is is split into orderliness and industriousness. Oh. And in, uh, you know, I always thought that I, I usually I, I score highly in conscientiousness into the, in, uh, in any big five. Yeah. But I'm not very orderly, an orderly person, you know. I, <laughs> uh, so the, it take, what, the way we explain this is because I score very high in industriousness. Ah. Not yeah. in orderliness. So you, you, even within the, the big trait, and that's why they are called big, uh, you might have, uh, you know, a, a score that is not uh, symmetric with uh, the other facet. So, Bernardo, who was that again? Because I'm I'm unaware of that. I want to. That said, sounds very fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Jordan Peterson. She, he's a professor at the University of Toronto. Okay. And he has uh, he has some uh, website now that he uh, you know provides a service that you can test your personality. And then uh, create. He also has a program that you can follow. You know, it's like a mass uh, psychoanalytic uh, service. Okay. Yes, because he's a he's a clinical psychologist. And yeah, I use the Big Five in my dissertation. So mm -hmm. I'm yeah, interested it in, is. in great that. Stuff. And, and University of Toronto seems to be gathering some really great minds. Nina Mazar is yeah. there. Yeah, also in AI. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. I, I wanted to, to jump back uh, and, and we, we talked a little bit about your path going from, from Brazil to Lisbon to Scotland to Amsterdam. What was it that inspired all of this interest in behavioral science? Well, it was when I was still an undergraduate uh, student. Uh, you know, but there was an article uh, that was published in a Brazilian newspaper translated from the New York Times talking about David Leibson's uh, research on hyperbolic discounting. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, I just had at that time the, the, the let's say, microeconomics, uh, the, the second course in microeconomics. So we were discussing intertemporal choice. And I was comfortable with the exponential discounting model, but still it was not... Uh, you know, fitting very well. Um, and I, I knew people, they had difficulties to stick to plans and you might, you, you could have self-control problems. So I, I read that article and then from them on, I started to, to, to read uh, other, other papers. There was no book at that time. I remember the first one that was available in Brazil in English was Behavioral Game Theory from Colin Kammerer. And um, yeah, the judgment and see uh, uh, heuristics and, and biases from from Kahneman. Yep. It's yeah, like a big a big book uh, with uh, that paper. So I ended up uh, reading those, and yeah, the, the I think this was two thousand and one, and then Kahneman won the the the, the Nobel Prize a few yeah. years later. Yeah. It, it, it changed the world. For, you know, for those listeners who might not be familiar with hyperbolic discounting, uh, could, you, could you just share an example of, uh, of hyperbolic discounting? 
Well, it helps to explain why people procrastinate. Um, in, in the basic economic model, we don't have uh, violations of what we call uh, planning, executing uh, idea. So if you want to start, uh, to go, uh, let's say, a fitness plan, uh, yourself will today make this decision and your future self, when you actually start the fitness program, will be the same person, so you will uh, <laughs> actually do the exercise. Yep. But we, we, we have, a, a, um, let's say, if not the majority of the, the population uh, who uh, end up procrastinating or having self-control problems when they face temptations, and this model helps to explain those violations. Boy, I, I don't know who that would apply to. Certainly not me. I don't, I don't have any, I don't have <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting that that component too of of your future self versus your current self, and uh, you know, uh, Dan Ariely calls it the hot state and the cold state, right? Yeah. The yes. Yes. That you make in your cold state are very. Uh, seem very different when you're in that hot state. You will, I, I will refuse that donut. I will, you know, get up at 6 a.m. to go jogging. Well, when you're, you know, that donut is in front of you, uh, yeah. you're in that hot state. And it's much harder. You're a different person at that point. Yeah, actually. and you, you know what's interesting, you know, um, for you know, in my in personal per, personal experience and perspective, it was that the, I read this this article. Uh, in 2001, okay. In two, 2015, I saw at, I, I was present at a talk given by David Leibson in in, uh, in Scotland in Stirling to the research center that I was working for uh, in 2015. Yeah. Yes. So you know that that's what makes life interesting. You know, you you see that uh, article that. Uh, you remember that article that changed your your life, the way you see economic behavior, and then a few late, a few years later, you are there with the you know the the author that uh, yes. made all those things different. With the man, yeah. So did you did you talk with him then and and thank him for changing the trajectory of your of your life? Well, no, not in this terms. Uh, yes, he knows that you end up changing lots of uh, life. But yeah, he's a very very interesting person to to watch and to talk with. Yeah. Uh, yeah, George Lovenstein was also there. Cass Sandstein. We 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 had many good presenters. You know, these guys that uh, helped change the field. We should uh, we should talk about George sometime. I I, I had the uh, I've had the privilege of of doing some work on uh, goal setting, gender, risk, and confidence uh, mm. with George over the past uh, three or four years, and it's uh, he's really a joy to work with. That's that yeah, is really that's true. So so Bernardo, if you had a crystal ball, um, what do you think is gonna be the next big thing in the world of behavioral science or where is that next cool thing coming from? Yeah, so you know, um, nowadays I still uh, teach some courses in, in behavioral science. Uh, okay. And I, I think we, we got a lot of training in experiments. Uh, uh, but we, we still lack some training in uh, things like predictive analytics and, and clustering. It's basically using this uh, machine learning algorithms from what's called supervised and unsupervised learning. So, so I think uh, first universities, they will have to start merging 
uh, behavioral science with more data science or data analytics uh, 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 disciplines. Mm. Yeah, this we, is one thing uh, I, I think definitely will have to, to happen. Even if you look at the um, behavioral insights teams, they are uh, moving to this direction. Not only RCTs, but also looking at uh, predictive modeling, etc. That, uh, that uh, echoes a conversation that Kurt and I had recently with Sara Bargava, who actually, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know Sara, but he is a close associate of George Lowenstein's and Sarab talked at length about how many decisions that we face today are very complex and we would actually, people would benefit from having uh, sophisticated algorithms assist in the decision making. Uh, mm -hmm. because, uh, some things are, are just too darn difficult to, uh, to manage on our own. In the US, healthcare is, is an extremely complex and difficult uh, set of decisions to make so yeah exactly recently here one of these startups we helped is a mortgage advice company okay yeah so this is a company that first people have lots of incentives to share their information because they they help them to apply for a mortgage with a bank they are not the bank they are the advisor okay um, so this is perfect for a predictive model for example are they uh, very likely to to get uh, a mortgage which bank should they apply for the mortgage etc and um, and even to how to summarize the documents these kind of things um, in, in marketing for example we use predictive modeling a lot to predict this uh, steps of the marketing funnel so which which uh, which are the users that are more likely to convert which ones are more likely to be retained not churn uh, which ones are generating more, uh, are helping us to reduce costs or increase uh, revenues. Uh, but it's the same. In, in, uh, I think that in, in public policy, if you follow the same idea, uh, it works perfectly. You, you need to, to increase people's awareness about, the, about a specific problem. Then you want to convince them to, to uh, enroll, let's say, to a, a pension plan. Then you want them to optimize their uh, contributions. And then you want them to invite more people. Right. So the customer journey is quite similar. Yeah, it, the, there is that uh, overlay, right, of yeah. uh, the, the, the policy components that go into it as well as the, the marketing element of that exactly yeah that, that's why I, I you know I I've made this move from let's say public policy to marketing with no fear because <laughs> I I think that they have a lot to complement each other you can, you can also even uh, have some of these startups especially fintechs and health um, health related uh, applications that help people to improve their decisions yeah well, and I think, I think both can learn from each other, right? And, and I think, yeah. you know, public policy, at least probably if you go back five, eight years, has almost been leading the charge in many instances, I think, right? Some of the, yeah. the, the, the BIT group over in, in England and some of yeah. the policy and, and the various different elements along that. But I think... Uh, business and organization are catching up and marketing is, is at the forefront of that. It's one of the, one of the components yeah. that I yeah. talk about. Marketing has a lot to, to, to teach uh, for us behavioral scientists in terms of how to use the digital channels 
yeah. to, to reach the, the largest amount of users of people that you want to, for example, nowadays with uh, what's called the internet of things, but basically it's a lot of interconnected devices. You can collect more information, but you can also, uh, after you analyze this information, you can come back to the user with a reminder, with a social norm, with a, let's say a positive reinforcement message and yeah. actually change behavior using the, the IoT. So the, the first, I think that we'll see a wave of machine learning applications actually included in the curriculum. And when they reach the job market, they will have to learn how to create this uh, automated digital channels to communicate with the users. Yeah, yeah this is fascinating, this idea of, uh, of the policy makers informing the marketers about, um, uh, about sort of the, the general governance issues and the marketers inform informing the policy makers about uh, things like you know how yeah. to leverage the digital channels. Yeah, and uh, um, the, the 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 body of uh, the the policy making body that I think is doing this great is the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK. They uh, have a, a department called Data Science and Behavioral Science uh, Team uh, okay. Unit. Yeah, so basically they combine this idea very well. This is what we try to do too here um, in our framework. We have a framework that is called the GROWS process, G-R-O-W-S, um, and basically is uh, we start from this marketing funnel and then we have an experimentation process that goes on and on, uh, including all these things, you know, uh, experimentation, predictive modeling, understanding the users using uh, clustering, for example, clustering algorithms and uh, applying the behavioral psychology uh, knowledge to, to push them to, to change their behavior. So on that, do you see organizations, because one of the things, um, you know, that, that at least in public policy, they always are conducting those A-B tests or various different experiments to 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 prove their their assumptions right and and mm -hmm. yeah. that less in organizations but i don't know if i'm just an outlier on that mm -hmm. are you are organizations willing to do those experiments i think it's easier in the digital realm um yeah it's yeah, it's easier in the digital realm because marketeers are accustomed to do, as you said, the A-B tests with landing pages and website layouts, this kind of things. Yeah. Um, but once you, once you reach the, let's say, the larger, the large companies level, obvi yeah, obviously they, they, they have this, but they have in silos. It's not interconnected. So the guys in marketing, they do their experiments. Uh, the, the data scientists, they do their own experiments with, ah. uh, to solve other problems. In the smaller companies, once they learn how to use the uh, uh, digital channels, they, it's easier to uh, implement this culture, this mindset of experimentation. Uh, it's just that, you, again, we need someone in the company with the skills to perform these things in a proper manner how to create a control group, how to define the counterfactual situation, et cetera. So that integration of the different units that are doing it isn't always happening and, and making sure that it's being done 
uh, effectively and, and with some validity, I think is what. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah let, let me be more specific, you know, take the example of a large company that you have very good um, data scientists, you have very good UX designers and you have marketeers. Right. So uh, if the company is going to launch a product, they should, uh, yeah, minimally be interconnected. Otherwise, you don't know how you will collect the data later on yeah. because the UX guy forgot to include touching points in the product. Yeah. The marketing person knows what are the pains that the consumer has and uh, cannot uh, have a reasonable conversation with the data scientist with who is a guy that is very analytical but has no business awareness <laughs> all right how uh, uh, how common do you think is the mindset of experimentation in the business world well the, the, you know in the last years there is a a movement uh, that is called lean analytics and these guys, they, they have this mindset very strong, you know, the, the, that they have to define a metric that matters. So if you are a startup, for example, you should not have more than one metric to focus on. Then you, um, you, 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 you need to implement lots of experiments to have the, you have many fails, but you will probably end up having big wins on the way. So yeah, the startups, they are quite strong on, on this. And the difficulty in, in larger companies is to, yeah, as I said, combine them into a growth team or uh, that, that uh, does these experiments, that, that, do the, that does these experiments, yes. Yeah, all right. Terrific. Uh, well, we have, uh, thank you uh, very much, Bernardo. We have uh, another important question for you. Mm -hmm. and this is uh, <laughs> Kurt's. So, Bernardo, I apologize in advance <laughs> because I'm realizing Tim normally puts this in the notes that we send out to you and to prep you for this next question. Um, but he left it off on yours I'm, as I'm looking through this. So, my, my, my deepest apologies in advance. Okay. Just to make you a little bit more, I, I, more nervous. Yeah, I'm yeah. curious. Hey, now, now to talk about uh, all this psychological prep work. Bernardo, what we're interested in knowing is what would be your theme song? A song? Well, you know, I would take um, Hot Rats from Frank Zappa. You know, this is uh, <laughs> the guitarist. I would take his discography to a desert island, let's say. Wow, yeah. wow, that was a great answer. And no hesitation, <laughs> Kurt, I'm looking at Kurt's uh, the, no hesitation. I can't tell you how, how often we have these, uh, this, this question comes up in our, in our mm -hmm. podcast interviews and we, we let the, our, our uh, interviewees know in advance and they get all tense about it and you have responded beautifully. Oh, yeah, was, um... so, so, so Frank Zappa would be the, the artist that you would take to a, a Deserted island that you had the, your the discography, the discography. Uh, <laughs> the yeah, discography. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> All right. All right. And the yeah, maybe some Jethro Tool too. Oh yeah, yeah. Jethro Tull would be very yeah. good. Yeah. That, you oh, excellent, excellent choices. Well, yeah. uh, Bernardo, thank you so much for your time and your contribution to our our podcast. This has been a great. And, um, and we look forward to doing it again. Yes, it was very informative, and uh, thank you. It was a great pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. All Good right. to see that you are fo focusing on very interesting subjects. And 
We think, we think they are. <laughs> We're hoping that other people think so as well, but uh, they're they definitely will. interesting to us. So thank you again. Thanks. Welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our behavioral grooves interview, have a free flowing discussion. Free flowing. <laughs> Total libertarians when it comes to free speech. Are yes, and although it's usually not so free because we always end up around music. Oh my gosh, how does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> so, so Tim, tell me, what did you think about, uh, what was interesting from Bernardo's uh, conversation? Oh gosh, so much, so much was, was interesting. Just learning about Growth Tribe. Uh, this uh, this idea to, of having an organization that empowers humans to rapidly gain skills in a fast changing world was just wonderful. I just love that. I like their model. Yeah, you know, it's, it's cool. like they have actual they're 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 solving issues for clients and they're educating people on how to do that and bringing people together to learn all of those skills. Uh, as kind of a group. And so I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. He also uh, talked about uh, awareness versus activation in this conversion rate optimization. And I thought that that was a, I mean, he's got a very, for being a data scientist, he has a very marketing focused approach to, to, uh, to his work. And I um, appreciate that for all the years that I've spent in marketing myself. Yeah, it, it really is. He has that, that viewpoint of looking at things um, from that, that marketer's eye, yeah. you know, and, and bringing in some of the, the marketing components into that data science. And I think that's part of what they're trying to do at Growth Drive, right? I think yes. it's, it's taking a, a larger holistic viewpoint. So it's not just the UX design. It's not just the actual programming component, but it's taking into all of the accounts of, of how the consumer interacts with, with those technology pieces. Yeah, I think that that's, that's uh, important. I like how he's approaching it from, uh, we talked about ethics, we yeah. seem to always end up uh, in an ethical discussion to some degree. And Bernardo was a guy who uh, seemed to think really carefully about about this, about the uh, ethical components, about about what's going on, uh, the you know not just in the the silly naming conventions of their pirate funnel, but also <laughs> you know, but also in what in, silly in, that pirate funnel is a absolutely fantastically it was good, good it, name. It was good. But he's also concerned about the sort of the persuasion uh, techniques and technology, and uh, is is uh, paying a lot of attention to that. And I I, I felt like that was a really good. Place to be. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I think all of that is again. We hear it over and over and over again. But the the impact that behavioral science can have on the consumer, and we've talked about this. Though we, you know, that that has been where behavioral science has really taken off uh, inside the the organizational world, right, is, yeah. is on that consumer-facing side much more so than on the the inside of that, that organ, um, inside of the organization. And I think you can see the reason why, because it can have such an impact, right? And, and that impact uh, is directly related to most organizations' bottom line or their top, actually probably more their, their top, top line, line yeah. than that bottom line. So when you think about it, uh, it, it makes 
readily apparent sense that that's where it kind of gets its foothold within the organizational world. But I like that he's taking it and, and really thinking through some of those ethical implications of it. Right, that um, I, th I think he said something about policy and marketing going together. Mm -hmm. That they need to, that policy should influence marketing and marketing should influence policy. And I actually like that kind of symbiotic approach. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the EU rules, uh, these new regulations yeah. around uh, data manipulation, are going to uh, impact either the effectiveness of marketing or, of course, it also leads to questions uh, that I have as to, well, if are there going to be people who say, well, the rule is this, and I'm going to skirt around the rule yeah. by, by doing this so I can still achieve my little devious ends? <laughs> you, know? you know, it's always the uh, how do I game the system, right? And, and what are the ways that I can... Ah, but the intent uh, versus the... This is the rule of the law, but I can get around the rule, but... Still it's the old, uh, if you're not cheating, you're not trying kind of thing. <laughs> is that is that where you think that, that some of that lies? I don't know. Um, I found his his entryway into the behavioral science, that interest that was, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, of, of uh, a New York Times article, um, you know, to, to get him in from David Leibson, right? Who was yeah, it? yeah, yeah, it was. It was Leibson's article. And, you know, his work on, on you know, hyperbolic time discounting and all the kind of stuff Great that he stuff, does. Yeah. So I think there's a, I just found it interesting that a New York Times article is, is the the impetus for his uh, entry into this. Well, and how do you, how do you go from just being a guy growing up in Brazil through, uh, let's see, he end, well, he's in Amsterdam now, yep. and, he ends, and he he went through Sterling, England, yep. uh, on the way. In Switzerland, right? He yeah. was in Switzerland for a time, he's, and Portugal. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. Uh, amazing, actually. It's, it's, it's really quite a journey, and um, I really enjoyed hearing that. Um, he also brought up something that we've heard in some other conversations uh, that isn't so much about the ethics of using big data, but the value of using big data and algorithms to help make better decisions. Yes. Like, like uh, he, you know, we talked about mortgages and this mm -hmm. idea that as a consumer, if more relevant data was brought to me that, that a machine learning tool could, could help advise me on what a better mortgage would be because mm -hmm. of my personal circumstances, that's really cool. There's something that uh, about that that is very appealing to me. Right. And it, I, I think the appealing part um, is, is even expounded upon when we think about our conversation with Charlotte Blank and, you know, some of those rules of here is why we're making these recommendations. So it's called out. So, it doesn't, so it's not again, creepy. It doesn't feel creepy. Yeah. But, you know, again, our conversation about, you know, just the cognitive overload that you can get these days, you know, health insurance market that, yeah. that we're going on and, you know, fact that we ended up going getting a broker to help us with this so you it's know. complicated yeah and uh, for a decision that is complicated and infrequent uh, this uh, I like the idea of living in a world where we could get assistance from algorithms of course that puts a lot of burden on the people who are writing the algorithms yeah and making sure that those algorithms are actually in fact trying to or achieving what you're setting them out to to do which yeah, that, that could be 
that that could be tricky. It that, could be it tricky. Could absolutely tricky. But yeah, I thought overall this was a fascinating uh, conversation. I really uh, I've been following Growth Tribe subsequent uh, to to the conversation, and I'm just I'm, I'm amazed, and they they're doing some really cool stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, okay, let's let's talk music. All right. Okay. So what? Uh, w- let me ask you this. So, uh, are there any bands from from the Netherlands that you're a f- that you're a fan of? You know, I I do not know of any bands from the Netherlands that I I at least that I know that are from there. How about you? How, well, how about how, let's 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 just trail back. How about okay. how about Brazil? Okay, you're okay. making me seem very <laughs> okay. ignorant. Oh, sorry. And, okay. <laughs> uh, but no, I don't even know of any bands from Brazil. Okay, okay, sorry. Are that you going to keep going? Are we no. going to go, well, what well, how about, about... How about England? How England, about... hey! Okay. I, I know some English okay. bands, all right? Okay. Well, what, what, what would be a, f- a favorite English band? Oh, come on. You I know, know there's so many. Come on, you think... Depeche Mode, oh, New yeah. Order. You, you, we're going back to those '80s days. Psychedelic that first. Old, that new wave kind of component coming in there. Flock of Seagulls. Well, uh, nah, no. no, really? I, I, I thought they were cool. Yeah, they yeah. had the hair. Yeah, yeah. It, absolutely. Depeche Mode. <laughs> Depeche Mode. Uh, uh, Psychedelic Furs. The Cure. Oh, The Cure. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. What about Clash? Is that is that a little Clash? Little... I, I you know Clash. That's the you know I love how the Clash took the punk and mixed it with some of the the ska and you yeah kind of came up with their own. It's my wife's one of my wife's favorite bands, so I, I listen oh, to them quite a bit. Wow. Police. Well, police. I, of course. Police is not not that same no. genre, but I, well, I do like the police. So. And there's only two Brits in the band, so two of the three. So. Oh, I didn't know who is the who who isn't. Andy Copeland, uh, the drummer. He's uh, he's from the U.S. Yeah. I had no clue. Yeah. See, I, oh, I the said, ignorance. I said, yeah. Um, Andy Summers is is the guitarist. I, um, Stuart, Stuart, Copeland. Stuart Copeland. Stuart yeah, Copeland. forgive me. Oh, oh geez, my gosh. I just committed a mortal sin. <laughs> All right. So, so do you have a band from the Netherlands or Brazil that you can talk about or like? Well, you know, I, I've listened to, to some bands uh, from uh, the Netherlands, and forgive me, fans who are listening from. Um, Holland, but uh, they have not. I've been nonplussed by by them. So <laughs> sorry about that. But um, but Brazil, I go back to um, Jobim and the Bossa Nova, the the creation of Bossa Nova. I mean, Girl from Ipanema is one of the best selling records of all time, uh, and it was uh, Carlos Jobim, um, uh, just masterful work on guitar and creating a sound and. Uh, Absolute change. It was a super influence. It was a highly influential piece in in my life, and and his his work over the years with uh, San Getz was just um, remarkable. Uh, Frank Sinatra, his his uh, Jovim did some collaborations that were just remarkable. See the the what I like about this musical component is not so much my input into this because it's really <laughs> relatively small, but the knowledge and the the absolute depth of your knowledge that I learn every single time we do one of these. So thank you. Thank you, Tim. I really? appreciate that. There, there isn't any sarcasm in that? No, actually, there is not sarcasm. <laughs> this is, if, if uh, Todd Francisco was here, he would look at me and he say there was there's no micro-expression okay. of sarcasm there at all. 
Okay. Well, thanks for listening. Check us out on um, pod, uh, any any kind of podcatcher that you uh, you get your your podcasts from, and uh, please give us a good rating. We are always looking for for good ratings. Um, and I know this is not like a automobile dealership where you know if it's not a five, we fail. Um, give us a, just give us a good rating, or, and give us the rating that you feel that we deserve. What, what do you mean? <laughs> Should we be I, guilting I, I will our be, listeners? I, I, I will feel heartbroken if there's not a five. <laughs> You'll make me cry. Actually, give us whatever you want. And share, please. And share, please. With two friends right now from uh, one of the 42 countries that we're not in. How about that? But we're, we're only in 42 countries. We're only in, in 40, one of the 140, 50 yeah. some countries that we're not in. There you go. Yeah. All right. So with that, I think it's time to wrap this up. That sounds good. Thank you for listening. Take care. Take care.